Hey, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42. Let me move this thing up a little bit too. Isaiah 42, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 from that passage. We have been looking at various passages in the Old Testament scriptures that point forward to who Christ is. This is another one of those uh, passages. There's actually four and maybe five of these servant, pictures of the servant of the Lord in the book of Isaiah that talk about who Christ is, that that speak of him long before he has come. Some of those are a little more... I guess you would say naturally uplifting in their their nature, and we tend to kind of focus in on those certainly at at Christmas time as we're leading into Christmas. I thought today would be a reasonable time for us to look at one of those that actually has a little bit uh, heavier, if you will, a little bit more serious theme for us. And this Isaiah 42 uh, comes in along those lines for us. And a little bit of my reasoning is this. These verses are going to talk a little bit about some of the, the weakness we experience. I'm going to speak about a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. So I'm talk about the weakness we experience. And I think sometimes, it may just be me, but especially when you have kind of the highs of life, and Christmas season is kind of one of those times, getting together with family and friends, exchanging gifts. There's usually a lot of excitement and energy about it. But also, in the midst of those times, a lot of times, we feel our brokenness, we feel the brokenness of relationships. We feel things that are lacking there. We enjoy the excitement of it, but then, you know, this is Christmas Day, and then, you know, Monday rolls around, or the week, work week rolls around, and we've got to get back into the swing of things. And there's an adjustment there. We feel some of that. And then we're also just coming to the end of the year, and I think sometimes maybe if, if we have a little bit of a philosophical bent in us, We'll think a little bit back over the last year, and we'll realize that, hey, our life is going by. Time is going by, and we'll maybe reckon a little bit with the fact that we're weak, that we are needy, and that we need a servant who would come in and care for us who are in such a situation. So I invite you as you read these verses with me and stand with me as we read them aloud. I read them aloud to you. Uh, to think about these things as we look at this message about Christ, about the servant of the Lord, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. It says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. You may be seated, and let's pray together as we do. Let me pray for us again. Oh, Father, we pray especially for this time in your word, and we thank you for it. Uh, Even on this day, we have many things going on in our minds. We pray that you would just teach us from your word, things that you would have for us. Uh, Take me and the words I have and use them in the lives of your people as you desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we look at these verses and think about weakness to some extent and frailty. The uh, William person, William Cooper, comes to mind for me from the history of the church known for his poetic writing and his powerful hymns that he's prepared, but also at his time and his day for translations of some of the ancient works of Homer and also writing his own personal satirical plays that were well known in his time. And yet he was a smoldering wick. William Cooper, spelled C-O-W-P-E-R, was born in England in 1731. He was the son of a pastor. He uh, grew up, had, had a great deal of natural talents and abilities he brought to bear, but even as a little child, he began to suffer the bruising of his own life from other kids around him. He was a little bit melancholy and depressive even in his younger years, and that only increased as other kids kind of picked on him because of that, and so he felt the impact of it. He was uh, able, because of his great skill, to be admitted into the Westminster School, which was a training place for people going into legal careers. It was an elite place to be trained, so he had great natural ability. But there he tasted another, or in his time concluding there, he tasted another bit of life's bitterness as he was pursuing in marriage Theodora, uh, one who he had come to love, who was too closely related to him for that marriage to be approved by her father. And when he received that news, he went into his first bout of, I guess, adult depression, you would call it. Cooper went on to be given an opportunity to serve as the main legal counsel for all of England's House of Commons, for the Parliament, basically, which, you know, was a pretty, pretty big job. But he went in and he had passed, you know, all the academic side of things. He was academically qualified for it. But he went in for the actual examination where he had to answer questions. And the pressure of the situation, the intensity of it, caused him to have a complete breakdown. Not to be too graphic on our Sunday after Christmas Day, but he decided he no longer wanted to live, tried Heights as a way to take care of that issue, but he was afraid of heights. Tried poison, but failed to take enough. Tried a knife, but was too squeamish, and a rope, but it broke. And then he ended up in an asylum for several years, going from the pinnacle, the opportunity to serve in this high legal position, having been trained academically for it, and ending up in an asylum, basically dealing with insanity. He had a brother. His brother, I forgot to tell you, his, two of his siblings died while he was younger. That wasn't exactly encouraging to him. His mother also died while he was young. But his brother, one of his brothers, was still alive. And his brother came to him. Again, Cooper, still a, a young man, just beginning his professional life in this asylum, and read him the Bible regularly. His brother said Cooper would just be glazed over, not even engaging. And yet his brother faithfully went and read the Bible to him. He would eventually 
move on, Cooper Wood, from this facility and moved in with a family that folks in the church community asked, would you take this man in? We think somebody needs to watch over him, take care of him. The Unwins were their names, Morley and Mary. Morley, unfortunately, died in a horse accident not too long after uh, Cooper moved in. But Mary Unwin, for the next 40-some years of her life, took in Cooper and cared for him like she was his own child. And something interesting happened to this troubled, troubled man, this bruised reed, Cooper, as he spent this time at the Unwin's house. A guy named John Newton, who was a slave trader, who had dealt with his own brokenness, come to faith in Christ, and has written some very familiar hymns to us, Amazing Grace being the most noteworthy. Uh, Newton was a hymn writer and got to, he hung out with the Unwins and began to get to know Cooper, who had already demonstrated his great abilities in the legal area and also writing these plays and translating these works of Homer. And he began to help shape Cooper into writing these wonderful hymns. One of them we still sing from time to time today. Uh, the graphic nature of it, of what Christ has done, is a bit startling even to our ears today. But when you understand Cooper's story, you get why he wrote this way. There is a fountain filled with blood, he wrote, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath its flood lose all their guilty stains. There's a bruised read this man, Cooper, and certainly we don't know his hymns as well today. Newton had a way of writing in a more colloquial speech. Uh, Cooper wrote in a little bit more lofty English, and so it hasn't come through as much to us because it's just a little harder to sing. But a powerful impact that he had over the centuries in the church, and especially in Cooper's own day, was known for being used of the Lord despite his great weakness. As we turn at these verses today, we see that Jesus comes, described in these verses, as one who was just and meek. Because he's just and meek, he can be a servant to us who are, if we're willing to admit, in our own ways, in our own lives, bruised reeds, smoldering wicks. I don't know where we all are on this today. We just had a time of confession in our worship service where we supposedly each week acknowledge our great need, acknowledge that we're sinful people, we need grace. But perhaps for a lot of us, it's another thing to really acknowledge that we're broken, that we've got places where things are really frail, where we're really needy. That's another level it would seem to Admit These verses invite us to admit that. And we've seen some of that brokenness this year in the life of our church and church families and marriages that are struggling to grow, some even struggling to survive. In losses that we've experienced as a church, death of loved ones that a lot of people are, some of us even in this room, are feeling acutely this holiday season as somebody's not there who used to be there through miscarriages as well. We've experienced loss. Some here struggling just to make ends meet for the family with the economy being the way it is. We're, we're feeling some of this frailty, I think. 
And in a way, these scriptures remind us it's a good thing for us. Because when we feel that, when we see that, then we can appreciate who Christ is as this servant of the Lord. Otherwise, we don't really value it that much. And we are to praise God for being the servant of the Lord. Look at these verses with me. Verse 42. God's not bashful about introducing Jesus as this kind of servant. He says, behold, my servant. In fact, those are the same verses that are used when Samuel comes and introduces the king Saul to God's people. He says, behold, here's the king. They're, strangely enough, the same verses that Pilate, the same sort of verbiage that Pilate uses when he introduces Jesus to the people who were calling for his crucifixion. He says, behold, your king. This is an announcement. This is an announcement of who Jesus is. And it says he is our servant. He comes to serve us, to minister to us in the areas that we deeply need it. We know that these verses refer to Jesus because Matthew 12, verse 18, you don't need to turn there, but refers to these verses in describing Jesus' ministry. So these verses are all about Christ, about this just and meek servant that comes into the world. Let's talk for a minute about this meekness, what it means that he comes meekly. So that's going to be a first point if you're trying to follow along in the bulletin. The second thing we want to talk about is that he comes justly. And lastly, we'll talk about the fact that he comes delighted or delightful, whichever way you want to put it. Let's talk about meekness for a minute. I don't know about you, but you hear the word meekness, and it not only sounds close to the word weakness, but it's pretty closely associated in my mind. And if you don't if you weren't, you know, if I caught you just waking up early this morning and asked you, hey, what's the difference between meekness and weakness? It'd be a tough one to kind of articulate off the top of your head. But it's a really important difference because the scriptures tell us that Jesus comes meekly. And when it says that, what it means is that not that he is a weak person. In fact, he has all the strength of the universe, but that his strength is that he's able to contain that and direct that in a compassionate and merciful way. That's what meekness means. It doesn't mean you don't have strength. It might mean you have great strength, but you've figured out how to direct it in a way that you really care about people and reach down and touch them in a place where their needs are. That's what meekness has to do with. These verses talk about it in a couple of different ways. Verse 2 of Isaiah 42, it says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. Interesting. It's just it's describing one that's not really that concerned with uh, self-aggrandizement, not trying to make a bit, lot of pomp and circumstance. We can think of Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday, riding into his victory in the cross, and what is he riding on? He's riding on a donkey. He's riding in on a donkey. So that's the kind of attitude, posture that he has, this meek one. But it goes on and says, Some even more important things, I think, for us this morning. Verse 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Those are interesting pictures, aren't they? Kind of like meekness and weakness. If I caught you early in the morning and asked you, What is this talking about, a bruised reed? What is this talking about, a smoldering wick? You'd probably sort of scratch your head and have to think about it a little bit. Well, a reed... You know, if you've seen a reed, it's like a hollow stick. It's not very thick on the outside, and it's hollow. So to begin with, a reed is pretty fragile. You can just walk through a whole bunch of them and knock them over, even if they're, you know, this big around. A reed is not much to speak of. 
But on top of that, these verses tell us, and this is a description of us, whether we want to receive it or not, that we're actually bruised reeds. So it's not just that you're easily tipped over, broken in half, but we're bruised. We have a point of weakness in us as well. So that's one description of us and how Christ comes meekly to us. It also tells us here that we're a smoldering wick. Now, you pictured it at a birthday party or last year we had our candle candlelight service. You remember at Christmas we decided to bypass that this year. Of course, I decided to bypass the Advent candle too, but that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the wind is blowing. That flame is just there, and especially like if you're out camping or something, you're trying to get that fire started. Maybe it's a little bit cool, and the flame starts to flicker, and you almost think you've got it, and then it just fades away. That's a smoldering wick. It's just on the edge of going out. This is the way the Bible describes us and beautifully describes Christ who comes in to minister to us. Scriptures talk about it elsewhere. Matthew 5 speaks of the fact that we are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We're blessed if we realize our spiritual poverty. Matthew 26 talks about the fact that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Very weak. We're fragile and frail in a lot of ways. Well, why is this important? Well, it's important because it shapes how we experience God's grace. Do we recognize our great need for it? Do we recognize how fragile we are? And it also shapes our recognition of what God does for us, that Jesus comes and he is God of the universe, and yet he cares enough for us in our places of weakness and brokenness to come in and care tenderly for us. Do you see that today? It would seem, and uh, one of the books I'll recommend to you all, in fact, this is a little unorthodox, but I'm going to walk out here and hand these books around for you all to take a look at. A couple of books that I'll... I'll pass that up and down the aisles. Richard Sibbs uh, has a book that was written back in the 1630s just called A Bruised Reed, and it's all about these verses. So if a lot of this resonates with you, you want to think about, meditate on this a little bit more, that's an excellent book that's been around, stood the test of time, stood the test of time for you to take a look at. But Sibbs says this, essentially. He says that even in our places of loss, even where we've tasted difficulty this year, that those things are purposeful on the part of God. They're purposeful on the part of God because He wants us, as painful as it is for us sometimes, to grow in being released from our self-sufficiency. We don't like to say we're prideful, but I think hopefully most of us will admit we're pretty self-sufficient. And Sibs reminds us that it's good to recognize that we're a bruised reed. It's good to see that we're a flickering flame because then we can receive the mercy of Christ. It's good for us to see this. It also affects how we reach out to other people around us. And I want to say something here, and we've got kind of a a core crowd here that are, are here pretty regularly. You know, there's some things we do as a church even I think in particular at the end of our communion time, it's uh, something we need to do because it's in the scriptures to fence the table, we call it, where I share about the fact that if someone is not a believer, that they need to just remain seated to pray, to look to Christ. And we go through those kind of things each 
week. And sometimes there might be parts of the messages that I share that seem a little bit simple. It's like, why doesn't Chris move on to something a little more complicated or engaging? Well, it's because we not only need to be mindful of where we are, but need to be mindful that right around us each week in this church, we're praying that people would come who are maybe just fragile, just on the edge The things that are going on in their lives, the difficulty they're dealing with, we don't even really know. And they just need a simple word. And other people are coming who are just on the edge. They don't realize their need for the gospel. They need something very simple. So we come meekly to them, giving them a message, giving them something simple that can be digested. That's part of what we're doing as believers is we're seeing Jesus' meekness, our benefit of receiving that meekness, and then hopefully we're being transformed into people that, however strong we view ourselves, reach out to others, learn compassion with others, and care for them in their needs. Okay, so that's what these scriptures have to say by way of meekness. Let's talk for a minute about what it says about coming justly. It tells us here this servant also comes justly, and it's kind of all over the map here. It speaks to this in verse 1 of chapter 42. He will bring forth justice to the nations. It speaks to it here in verse 3. It says he will faithfully bring forth justice. And then verse 4, it tells us he's not going to grow tired. He's not going to wear out in establishing justice in all the earth. So justice, it seems, is an important thing. And it's interesting that these two themes are combined. You you think about it. Why meekness? Why a, a bruised reed? Why a smoldering wick together with this idea of justice? Well, it's probably a couple of things, but one is this. We sometimes end up being a bruised reed and a smoldering wick because we kind of bring it upon ourselves. We do things in our life that put us in a place of being very fragile. We're really struggling spiritually. We've built spiritual habits that aren't focused on the Lord, and so it's very hard for us to seek the Lord, and we're struggling with that. It makes us feel our frailty and our, our weakness. But that's not the only time that we experience the weakness and meekness, we experience it too when we have injustice, when other people around us treat us unfairly. And maybe that doesn't happen so much, it would seem to us in our time and place here in America, but all across the world today, in all different situations, and certainly in other places in our city and other families around us, injustice is coming to bear on people's lives. Folks are feeling the impact of not being treated rightly. And when you're not treated rightly, you tend to end up like a bruised reed. You tend to end up like a smoldering wick, very frail. Much of the world sits in that situation. And these verses remind us that Jesus comes to show justice, to demonstrate what is good and right. What's, what's justice? Again, that's another term we're familiar with. We, we're familiar with, but we don't really think about it. Justice is this idea that everything would be made right and good, that God's kingdom is about what's right and good. And these scriptures tell us that God is coming to bring justice into our world. Deuteronomy speaks to it. Let me talk to you about a couple of these Old Testament passages. Deuteronomy 27, verse 19, speaks about this issue of justice. Well, let's... Let's try another one. 27. Oh, 27, 19. I was one chapter over. 27, 19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice 
due to the sojourner, that's the alien, that's somebody who's not from around here, to the fatherless and to the widow. Those are pretty strong words. We're cursed if we don't extend justice to those around us who are the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Earlier in Deuteronomy, it says something similar in Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you want to look there, you can, or I'll read it aloud to you. Verses 17 and 18 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. That's justice, right? That's fairness. It says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Okay? So the Scriptures don't just tell us that we're meek and we need to recognize our meekness and need for God's grace. They also remind us that when we receive strength and power from the Lord, we ought to use our energy, our efforts, our lives to reach out to those who are in this place of injustice, to care for people who are weak, who are fragile, and who are frail. Now, Let's be honest, when we hear about that, and when we live in the world of uh, Fox News and MSNBC and this political view and that political view, we hear about reaching the people who are needy, and we kind of immediately switch into that gear. Now, let me just say that the Scriptures are not uh, partial in the kind of needs that we address. The Scriptures say we need to care for people halfway across the world who are dealing with Injustice, that we need to care about the unborn in our own society who are dealing with the injustice of abortion, that we should care about if we're going to go fight a war overseas, whether it's just, whether it's carried out in the right way, that justice ought to be something in our minds, something that we seek. As we hear those things, though, we think, and I've handed around one book, there's a book going around, When Helping Hurts. It's a fantastic book because one of the things we need to think about whether we're giving angel tree to folks in our community here or trying to send Operation uh, Christmas Child books halfway across the world, we have to think as a church, is this helping? Am I really helping folks or am I just building up a, an attitude where we here, the Americans, provide everything or the over-the-mountain folks provide everything for other people and we kind of elevate ourselves and push other people down even as we give those gifts? Well, the scriptures talk about justice, and they say, when we come, if we come meekly and serve, we'll be lifting other people up around us, and we'll be humbling ourselves to say, we're here just to serve, not to say there's anything good about us. So we've got to think about when our helping hurts. And then the other thing we'll think about, if you know your church history a little bit, in the last hundred years in America, if you start hearing about doing justice and we seek to try to be a church that cares for people's needs, we're going to get a little scared, a little concerned. Because a lot of churches have had a tendency to invest their whole energy in that and forgotten the core message of the Bible, that all of us are sinners, that we need God's grace, and we need that for salvation. They've kind of gutted it of that, and the sum total of church experience in a lot of churches across this country is just going out and trying to do some good things from time to time to help us feel good about ourselves. The gospel reminds us that when we come to do things that are good, to try to further justice in our world, that we're coming as those who need grace and mercy, who deserve 
God's wrath and his justice, and yet this one Jesus has come to take upon him the just punishment that we deserve. The scriptures call us to these things of meekness and justice. And lastly, let me show you this, because as we listen to these things, it's really good for us to know, verse 1 of Isaiah 42, that Jesus is God's chosen one and the one in whom he delights. That's such a blessing to us as we think about uh, some of the scriptures, even from the minor prophets that we've looked at this Christmas season. We did not look at Zephaniah, but I'll read this to you and we'll conclude with, with this point. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, speaks of what Christ does for us in his power and in his grace. It says, The Lord is in your midst, Zephaniah three seventeen, a mighty one who will save. And he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He'll exalt over you with loud singing. Why is that important to us? To know that this servant not only comes meekly, not only comes to bring justice and to call us to those things, but that he comes as one in whom God delights. What's crucial for us? Because when we go out to try and be more meek, People, when we go out to try to be more just people and to bring justice about, we're going to encounter our own sinful selves. It's not going to be easy to do it. We won't make very much progress as we'd like to. And that can be pretty disappointing and discouraging. We might also feel judged and condemned for it, but we're reminded in these verses that God delights in us, even in our failed attempts to grow in meekness, even in our failed attempts to see our brokenness, even in our failed attempts to live more justly and extend justice in this world. He delights in Jesus, so he delights in us as well because of what Christ has done. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do praise you and thank you for what Jesus has done for us, this wonderful servant who indeed serves us in all the ways that we need. And we ask, Lord, that you would enable us today to see our brokenness, to see that we are bruised reeds, that we are smoldering wicks. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the tender way that you have cared for us. And we ask that you would break down our pride that even now, even as we've thought about these verses and are hearing this message, we want to resist the idea that we are that needy. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you tell us that we're that needy so that you might come show your meekness and kindness to us. And Oh Lord, we pray for our lives, our church, our community here and our community around the world where there is great injustice at many places. And we see from the scriptures that you are greatly concerned about that because of the brokenness that comes from it. And so, Father, we ask that you would enable us just in our relationships, personally in our marriages, in our friendships, uh, here in our church community, here in our community of Birmingham, that we would, in light of your grace, live in a more just manner. We would treat people rightly around us 
and that justice would be extended that way. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming and have come to bring your kingdom and that your kingdom is a kingdom of justice. Lord, would you work that into our lives? Would you work that into our society, especially as we think about those who are on the fringes today? We pray that you would bring justice to their lives. Lord, that you would show your kindness to them who perhaps know much better than us their weakness and frailty, that you would minister to them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.